You're listening to The Gateway Church. For more information, please go online to thegatewaychurch.com. Good morning. If we haven't met, I'm Tom. And for now, I'm pastor of this great little church. And I'm so glad we've had the chance to worship uh, together. And I want to underline what Jim said, and let's be praying for uh, our future pastor. And it's getting close, and the heat is on, the selection team, so pray for them as well as we lean into the future in this journey together uh, called Faith. And we're in the middle of this uh, uh, series of, of 15 books from the back part of the book of Psalms, uh, 15 uh, chapters, 15 psalms, the songs, it's the song book of the Bible, the songs of ascents, uh, ascending. It's, and it was thought to be uh, what the pilgrims would uh, chant or sing on their three times a year journeys from wherever they lived to Jerusalem. And topographically, that was the highest city. So it was an ascent. It was a journey. It was a, a climb uh, to get there. And they give to us a, a solid basic framework for discipleship, uh, not only all those years ago when they were first penned, but today, and you'll, I think you'll find them to be all the more uh, relevant. It was a joy to dig into it last week when we were at Psalm 120, and here we are at the 121st uh, Psalm. And the, the whole idea of this is to give us just uber practical insights in uh, how God's word empowers us to live for and th- him and his life to live through us. Uh, because I think everyone in the sound of my voice agrees that life is filled with all kinds of twists and turns and developments that we wouldn't have chosen or things that have happened that we're surprised and delighted and also heartbroken and feeling defeated. And in many ways, life's journey feels like a very steep climb. So whether on that journey or even facing a national crisis together as a people, we instinctively look up. And that's how this psalm begins. Verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does, from, from where does my help come? phrased as a question. Critical to overcoming anything in life is admitting that you need help and that you can't do it alone. Whether it's facing an addiction or relationship complications or grief and loss or just putting it together as a a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter or a sibling or a co-worker, anything at all is to admit that you need help. Any friends of Bill here? You'll know what I'm talking about. All right. But it's not only just looking for help. This psalm points out it's it's about looking for help in the right place. Because there's lots of places we could look that in the end are not very helpful. Now, in our translation in the ESV this morning, it does translate this second phrase of verse 1 as a question. But 
Translators don't agree on that. Uh, the construct, the grammatical construct, it could equally be taken as a question or a statement. Uh, from where does my help come? Or from whence cometh my help and, and others? Uh, and it's also not clear as to whether or not this help, these, these hills, are helpful or not. It's not clear whether it's a positive or a negative. Is it, uh, you know, purple mountains majesty and we look at the grandeur of the landscape and we draw strength from that? Or is it, man, at your, your wits end at the, in a battle down in the valley and you're looking at the, the hills hoping that the cavalry is going to come riding over to your rescue? Or was it the popular pagan religions practiced at that time all throughout Palestine, the indigenous uh, religion of the Canaanites, which was the worship of the uh, goddess Diana for the purposes of fertility in their land or even their own selves uh, that, uh, to, to, to uh, enhance uh, the harvest. And it was noted that there would be shrines set up, uh, stylized Asherah poles, or even groves of trees planted, and in the, and around them were employed the services of temple prostitutes of both genders, in hopes somehow of uh, you know cultivating furry, uh, 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 favor with her, and she would grant fertility. Uh, to the land or perhaps give you just a little bit of good luck or at least make you momentarily feel good. We don't know. Is it positive or negative what the, the psalmist is writing as the pilgrim takes their steps after first, uh, the first uh, chapter in the sense, Psalm 120, remember, was about not going to the north, the way of the savages, or to the south, the way of the barbarians, but upward, Godward, towards uh, Jerusalem, we're not really sure. And you know, as we face again together the national crisis of senseless violence perpetrated by persons against people unlike themselves and sometimes like themselves. And as a people, we ricochet through the cycle of grief, beginning with shock, sympathy, denial, and anger, and rage. And the, the phrase, thoughts and prayers, eliciting warm with some and utter hatred with others, even sparking violent protests in response to violence. But here's the thing about us as human beings, in particular as Westerners, we are, we are on a search and desperate for, uh, yes, justice and to affix blame and to, to find answers and help. And we are so desperate to find a reason for all of this. And we want some solution, some reason, something to make sense. But what we are most committed to is that that reason be found outside of ourselves. We so want the solution to be guns or high-capacity magazines or rhetoric or left 
or right or uh, antidepressant drugs or uh, you know socialization and poverty and, and broken homes. We want it to be anything other than the 800-pound gorilla in the room that it is, which is evil in my heart and yours, ours. We want it to be anything other than that. And it's really not very complicated. Now, speaking to a specific instance, Second Chronicles 7.14 unfolds a principle, which is true, that if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Pogo wasn't the first one to say it when he said, I have met the enemy and he is us. No science, no education, no political party or political process, no legislation, no indoctrination will solve our problems as a society. The only hope that we have is in the person of Jesus Christ. God's love, grace, justice, and mercy manifest to us. And that we live him. It's only when you and I become the hands and feet of Jesus does our society have any hope at all. And that's not we have and they don't. It's that he does, and through his people, it's given away. You may say, you may react to what I'm saying is that's an oversimplification. Perhaps. But it's every bit as true as this room is hot and muggy. So it's our instinct to look up, and if we want help, it's right here for the journey. And it begins with remembering God. Verse two, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The pilgrim on the journey is reminding herself or himself of the choice made in the chapter before to turn around and to walk towards God, to walk towards the help, not in the way of the savages and not in the way of the barbarians, Meshach and Tamar, but towards God, not a God or any one of the gods, but the God who made heaven and earth. 
It's as if she's setting the GPS of the journey like you can yours to avoid country roads or avoid interstates or avoid turnpikes or avoid cities or avoid this or that. Setting the GPS. She's reminding herself to remember that help comes from the Lord. She's remembering to remember that he does help. Why? Because we forget. You've heard me say it probably too many times, but 99.9% of all of our problems in this journey are directly result directly related to forgetting some aspect of the gospel. And we live going off the rails in the wrong direction, and certainly the direction that doesn't bring any help. So we need to train ourselves to train against the strain, against the shame, against the drain, against the pain. In other words, the pilgrim is showing us the power of spiritual disciplines. That daily, persistent step towards God. And you remember the Sunday school song, if you were raised in church. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. I haven't found any other way. Disciplines. Not because they're exciting, but because they keep us connected. The discipline of of daily interacting with God's word. The discipline of turning to God in prayer. The discipline of denying yourself. The discipline of silence and quiet. The discipline of generosity and giving. The discipline of obedience. Not so that we'll earn God's favor, not so that we might earn our salvation, but because of his favor and because of our salvation, we lean into him because from him comes our help. And she's reminding herself. And the scripture's reminding us today that relentlessly we need to remind ourselves Because in pain and worse fatigue, we become stupid. Well, gee, Tom, thanks. I'm so glad I'm here uh, this morning. That'll be all, folks. We'll see you. And you know it to be true. Nobody whom I visited bedside after a failed suicide attempt None of them told me they wanted to die. They all told me they wanted the pain to go away. That's how stupid it will make us. To believe that somehow the world would be better without us, that we'd be less of a burden to others, or that my physical pain would go away, or what have you. And here she's saying... Remember, help comes from the Lord. Next, in verses 3 and 4, 
on this journey help us found when we not only remember God, but we remember God's nature. Verse 3, he'll not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. There's a sudden shift here in the grammar from first person I to third person he. We really don't know why. Is this some kind of self-talk being, you know, an internal dialogue? Is it an, an antiphony like in a, in a choir or a Broadway show where, you know, the, 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 the person with the microphone is, is singing out that, you know, I this and that, and then the choir or, the, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, ensemble, you know, shouts back or sings back that uh, he won't, he or he will do this or that. We're not really sure. But it works in either case. And the psalmist is also talking about the first danger in a long journey is to slip or fall, to turn your ankle, to break your leg, to stumble, to be hurt by the very journey itself over the rough ground of life, wounding. And it's also coming after the second most popular pagan religion practiced by the Canaanites in that time, and that was the worship of Baal. Baal was famous for his drunken orgies and constantly sleeping off a hangover. And the priest's job at the temples of Baal was to wake him up so that he might give you some favor. And if he didn't give you any favor, it's because they couldn't wake him up. And this is illustrated in the famous showdown in 1 Kings chapter 18 with Elijah. And you think he's mocking him when he said, what, is he asleep and he can't wake up? That's exactly what they believed because he was like the embodiment of every every kind of, you know, uh, 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 hedonistic impulse as this model for life. But please understand, this was no benign religion. The worship of Baal involved the practice of burning living babies alive in the arms of these hideous idols, again in hopes for producing fertility in the land an abundance of crops, a good harvest. It's looking for help in all the wrong places. That's fertility, but we're talking about a journey because the, the secondary thing you could do there, you could sort of tag on to that awful human sacrifice. The request for an amulet or a spell, or a a magic potion that would guard you against turning your ankle or breaking your leg or falling on your face on a long journey. And the pilgrim is remembering that it's God who made heaven and earth that's watching over her, not some counterfeit demonic God Baal, but God Almighty, who watches over her. El Roy, the God 
who sees. Every time the prophets or Jesus or Paul talk about idols, one of the things they point out is that they have eyes and can't see. The God who sees. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. That he, he sees you. Like the comfort a terrified or sick child has when you as the parents stay the night in their room. Like knowing that a night watchman is making sure things are secure so the camp or the village can rest. Or you know practically what it is to be afraid of the dark. Anybody afraid of the dark? I'm generally not afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of the things hiding in the dark, right? Okay. But isn't it amazing how that dissipates if you're with someone else? That fear is, is held off. And if you're with a bunch of guys, you're usually teasing each other about being afraid in the dark, which is, you know, guy's way of confessing. But in that banter, we push back that fear. But all the more, you know what it is to be alone in the dark, walking down a street in a city not yours, or to be walking down that street with somebody. And that's the close type of companionship that the psalmist is telling us we can have with God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, through his son, Jesus Christ. Remember God. Remember God's nature. Next, remember God's faithfulness. Verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your, the shade of your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Here the psalmist is pointing out the second and third dangers in the journey of life. The sun and the moon. And at the same time, the writer's now going after the third and fourth most popular indigenous pagan religions at the time of its writing. The Middle Eastern sun is deadly. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. It'll fry you to a crisp, cause you to go mad in the sun, sunstroke, sun uh, prostration, dehydration. It can kill you. So to fight that off, you would visit a temple to Baal Hamon, who was the god of the sun. And you would make sacrifice there and in exchange purchase a potion that would protect you from the sun. I suppose it was an early form of sunscreen or something like that. Now we learn that the sunscreen itself will make you sick, so it's you know, just an unsafe world that we live in. But they saw it as an enemy, and they would turn to the gods. Not to God, but to the gods to seek refuge. And sun worship is found in, in cultures all over, but that's what it was there at the time of the writing. 
and the moon, it was thought in those days, to be moonstruck, would be to produce what in the Hebrew uh, uh, looks like epilepsy or a, a madness of sorts, which finds its way into our English language of lunacy, that the stress of a journey and the robbers and bandits, thieves and murderers hiding in the dark or wild animals or what have you or slave traders could cause you by itself to go crazy. And so they would seek out a priestess of Yarik and purchase a spell from her to guard you from the madness found in the night perpetrated by the moon. In the exodus out of Egypt, God provided the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night that shielded you from the deadly rays of the sun and warmed you and lightened your way against the madness of the darkness. She's remembering that. She's trusting in God to protect her. But then it talks about this shade on the right hand. In classic literature, the, the left hand held the shield and the right hand held the sword. This is saying that in him is hope for all of the battles, all of the negotiations, all of the defense, all of the fight of life. He will shade us and he will light us for us and continues to do so. But please don't think this is all pie in the sky. Because not only remember God and remember his nature and remember his faithfulness, she's saying also to remember that he can be trusted no matter what. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this, this time forth and forevermore. Now, don't be tempted to see this psalm as some kind of amulet in, his, in itself, some kind of incantation for good luck. This is not a promise to be exempt from the difficulties of life. It is not to be exempt from death or death visiting our household. Instead, it's a promise not to be shielded from difficulties, not a promise of preservation from hardship, but a preservation from the evil that is in them. All of the water in an ocean can't sink a ship unless it gets inside. Every page of the Bible is filled 
with faith encountering trouble. We're taught by our Savior in how to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from active participation in that. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation is taken use of that which is common to man. Everybody faces it. Five times in this psalm is mentioned God by name, Yahweh, translated Lord. Eight times referred to as keeper or watcher to remind us that we are not nor shall we ever be alone. Kept from evil does not imply a cushioned life. Said Derek Kinder in his commentary on this. Does not imply a cushioned life, but a well-armed one. Every believer can count on a dark valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will walk, I will not fear. The only way evil wins, like ocean water in a ship, is when we, it gets inside, we begin to believe, this is forgetting about the gospel, we begin to believe that God is not near, that God does not care, that God has been cut off from us and we from him, and I am without hope. That I haven't been forgiven and I am condemned. That I've been separated from the love of God somehow that's in Christ. And the danger is when we buy into that lie, we believe we've got to take matters into our own hands. That somehow, some way, what he has done upon the cross and the blood of his son is not enough. So we turn back to the garbage that the world offers us. We swerve back off the road onto the rut of believing that God doesn't care, that the journey will fry us to a crisp or cause us to go mad or that we'll never have any blessing. Like a dog, the Bible says, returning to its own vomit. Sin. It's instinctive. That's where we go. Our eyes go down. They don't go up. And we think, man, if I could just, so I'll, and we compromise. And we sell out. In the end, we lose. Instead of remembering at that moment that the God who made heaven and earth is with me, he's watching over me. 
Here's five cents worth of free advice. If you want to not just survive this journey, grow into the image and stature of his son, Jesus. If you want to live overcoming the stuff that life throws at you, remember that he's with you and live like it. I mean, contrast that with the lucky charms, the good karma, the stuff that these phonies are offering to the God who made heaven and earth. A wild bet or the solid, massive, immovable security that you can bank on. Yet, there is no promise of no heartache. No promise of no suffering. No promise of no loss. No promise of no grief. No promise of no limitations or defeats or pain. But a pledge which is far more sweeping to keep you going, to keep your going out and your coming in. He will keep it. In other words, he, he, in shorthand, it's, it's another way of saying everything. Up close, it's talking about every one of our endeavors and enterprises and heart's desire and your home base. You're going out and you're coming in. Your pilgrimage and your return. All of your sunrises and all of your sunsets, all of your victories and all of your defeats, your beginning and your end, from the day of your birth to the day of your death. He can be trusted. Well, Tom, that's all right and good and sounds okay in theory, and yes, I get it, but you don't understand the heartache I'm in right now. I lost one of my very best friends this week to a freak accidental fall. Gone. I don't get it. And in part, it makes me angry. You know, if grief and loss doesn't make you angry, you're not paying attention. That's the price of love. It's supposed to hurt, and man, it does. And I know in the sound of my voice, those of you who've lost, that, that pales in comparison. He's inviting us to remember we're not in this alone. And he's done everything to prevent the evil of sin from dominating your life, but the consequences of it we still endure. Many times sin that we had nothing to do with. But all I know is my 58 years on this planet have taught me one thing. God can be trusted. His word is true and sure, and life is hard and painful, 
and the only hope that we have in this journey is trusting him and remembering he's as close as the mention of his name. Yeah, but Tom, he doesn't solve the problem. The pain doesn't go away. You know, you're right. But I've got to ask you, which is more important, the pain going away or your hope going away? The notion somehow that Christians don't suffer, that Christians don't lose, that Christians don't have lousy marriages or failed businesses or face foreclosure or loss or sickness or death, man, that's a lie. That's a lie as hideous as sacrificing live babies for fertility of the land. But a God who knows our pain and suffering and took it upon himself and his son Jesus upon the cross, whose body was destroyed and blood spilt out so that in the end, ultimately, your soul will never be destroyed and sin will never rule. The body's temporary. That doesn't mean we shouldn't struggle to eliminate suffering. Or that he should live like some kind of stoic, just enduring suffering to be. No. It sucks. No two ways about it. A lot of aspects of life do. But when they have our attention and loom and our eyes are down and we're not looking to the one who made heaven and earth. We just end up lost. But this last line takes care of the entire journey. From this time forth and forevermore to an unending time with him, reunited with all that we've lost, every broken dream and, and every broken heart and every broken mind and every broken relationship made whole in the ultimate renewing of all things. And on the journey, we can be renewed to face whatever life throws at us in this steep climb called life, if we can remember God, if we can remember God's nature, remember God's faithfulness, and remember that this God can be trusted. The first lesson was turn and face and journey towards God. The second is remember who God is and keep going. This has been another episode of the Gateway Church Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.